Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recording. This is Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Never say never, but never. I plan on leading this team with an unwavering standard. Everybody love everybody. We will call it the golden standard. And this is the standard that will drive this football program to its 12th national championship. With Sean Styers. I like that guy. Hey, what you could do is, is you could have a barbecue on that it's head. a good time, you know what I mean? On Sports Radio 960 AM, double. USBT. He's running down the middle by the 50. He's bare-chested and banging his chest. They're chasing him. They're not going to get him. And now your host, Sean Styers. Hey, hey, hey. It is Friday. A little bit chilly out there, but hey, we've got some baseball to warm us up tonight and this weekend. Selping Cubs season opener tonight. You'll hear it right here. Live from Four Winds Field on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. Brendan King, Max Toma. Those two knuckleheads will bring you all the action. South Bend Cubs against the Quad Cities River Bandits, starting again with the pregame 645 tonight from Four Winds Field. Tiger, eh, not as, yeah, not going quite as well today as it did yesterday. He is uh, playing on day two after uh, one under 71. Yesterday, in his return to the Masters, he is now through 12 and 3 over today. Six bogeys for Tiger Woods today. He has bogeyed the 11th and 12th as well as uh, started off bogeying for the first five holes earlier today in uh, on day two at the Masters. So he has dropped to uh, a tie for 38th right now so see if he can uh, pick it up here as he heads through the back nine this afternoon and uh, into the evening I guess well have you ever had an ex who can't stop talking about you you know it's it's been a long time for me because I've been married for more than half of my adult life now at this point but I've told my son yes there was actually a time in my life when I dated as well but you know you're in a relationship for a while you break up Try to go your own way, or maybe you do, but your ex just can't let it go. You start dating someone else. The next thing you know, you hear that your ex is talking about you, saying this, saying that to your friends, to your new girl or guy even, you know, whichever, you know, or her friends, whoever it happens to be, her friends, his friends, you know what I'm talking about. But looking back now, all that really meant was, They were still into you, stirring up drama that didn't need to be stirred up because, you know, they just couldn't let it go. That's what petulant kids do. You know, they can't let it go. They keep stirring up the old dirt and drama because even if they're not going to get you back, you're not going to get back together, they still have to make sure everyone knows, well, it wasn't their fault things went wrong. You know, you... You uh, you may want him, but I didn't want him anyway. Ah, uh, you know, teen love. And 
All that takes me to Brian Kelly, the lovelorn teen who just didn't get enough attention for the 12 years he was at Notre Dame. And now after he pulled the rug out from under his team, his coaching staff, everyone around Notre Dame to leave in the middle of the night for LSU while his team was still on the hunt for a college football playoff berth four months ago, petulant Brian Kelly has to make sure everyone knows the breakup that he initiated. It's all everyone's fault but its own. Really? It's not me. It's you. So Kelly's using the national media as his go-between. He's having his friend tell your friend and passing a note in the lunchroom. Kelly did interviews with two different national college football writers, and uh, from the one from the Associated Press, the other from CBS Sports. And both of the articles published on the same day, and they were both very similar. You know, it was like... Brian Kelly had a message he was trying to get out there, and you know they both of these articles pretty much hit the same notes. Here are some uh, excerpts and quotes from these articles. From first, from Ralph Russo of the Associated Press. If you want to know why Brian Kelly left Notre Dame after 12 years spent leading college f- football's most storied program to become the coach at LSU, the answer in part lies in one of the nicest cafeterias in college sports. Here's the quote from Brian Kelly now. Quote, it's been awesome because you've got incredible facilities. You've got players that want to be great. I want to be in an environment where I have the resources to win a national championship. And I came down here because I want to be in the American League East. End quote. And of course, that American League East thing, the toughest division in baseball and all that. He likes to make, you know, the the baseball analogies that we find out. Here's more. Quote, I felt like I did everything that I could at Notre Dame, and they felt like they did everything they could for me. I felt like we had both got to a point where this is what they could do, right? This is what I did, and we couldn't get past it, okay? And so here we are, end quote. And so then Russo goes on, the whirlwind courtship of Kelly by LSU took place over the course of about 10 days that included Thanksgiving weekend. Kelly, through his representatives, made several requests for additional resources and improvements at Notre Dame. Quote, I felt like that was what I was looking for, was student-athlete-centered. And I was pushing for more for the student-athlete, and I wanted to see that piece. And we didn't seem to be on the same path as to how that was going to get accomplished. End quote. Kelly said... Among the items Kelly was pushing, a chef dedicated to the football program and a new facility to replace the Guglielmino Athletics Complex, which currently houses the football team and does not have a dining hall. So you listen to some of that stuff. He didn't have good enough facilities at Notre Dame, apparently, even though he just got a brand new indoor practice facility. You know, they... They did all the renovations at Notre Dame Stadium. They've gone out of their way to, you know, to upgrade the stadium, in-stadium experience, the big video board, you know, divisive topic for decades, obviously. All these different things. And and now he, you know, but now he has players that want to be great. Now he does because he apparently didn't have that at Notre Dame. And a chef, you know, a chef for the team in a in a in a cook kitchen. In the Goog, that or, or you know whatever the new facility was going to be, he talked about pushing for a new facility. The one that they had wasn't good enough, and that's been talked about for a while. But again, it's not his fault. Nothing that happened is 
his fault. Brian Kelly, always eager to take credit for all the wins, but also twice as willing to point the finger as soon as things go wrong. Bad snaps in a hurricane. Blame the center in the postgame press conference. Disregard the fact that he called for more than 30 passing plays in that game. Ditto. How about the Michigan game a couple of years ago, the driving rain? Same thing. Throw the ball all over the yard where the other team is running it down your throat. But none of that was Brian Kelly's fault. Let's blame the fact that Notre Dame doesn't have a kitchen or a private chef at the Goog. That's why they uh, they couldn't win national championships when Brian Kelly was at Notre Dame. So then from the Dennis Dodd article at CBSSports.com, quote, did you walk in downstairs and see the training table? End quote. Kelly asks from his second floor office. Of course, you can't miss executive chef Michael Johnson's elaborate layout on the bottom floor of the LSU operations building. Johnson is so talented and so dedicated that he travels out days ahead of time for road games as sort of a culinary quality control coach. Johnson once ran into undercooked chicken prepared at a team hotel, this being the uber-competitive SEC. He wasn't sure it was an accident. Quote from Kelly. Quote, did you walk into the Goog? Kelly followed up, referring to Notre Dame's Guglielmo Menial Athletics Complex. Quote, there is no training table. We bring food in from the cafeteria. You get a sack lunch, a box lunch, end quote. Kelly wasn't done. Quote, that building had been built not to service those areas. That wasn't the vision the university had. I don't have a problem with that. They had built that building to meet a locker, and that's it. We had outgrown that. I had asked for that to be addressed in 2016, and we're at 2022, end quote. Okay, so first, I've seen some of what Kelly is called calling a box lunch. Okay, they may prepare it somewhere else other than the Goog, and they do, but I've seen it being brought in to the Goog. It is far from a box lunch. They bring it in. It is piping hot, you know, when it's supposed to be piping hot. And I guarantee you, Tennessee State, half the ACC, half the Big Ten, they'd be more than happy with the food they're serving over there to the players at the Goog, whether they can cook it in that building or not. It is still catered in gourmet food. And, you know, do you consider steak and lobster a box lunch? Probably not. I've seen plenty of that as well. Here's more from Dodd's article. But don't miss that the coaches immersed into the transition from buttoned up to party down. Quote, content is the new arms race of everything. He buys in, end quote, said Emily Dixon, LSU's executive director of creative content. Quote, he's been open to everything, end quote. Here the kids want you to be part of it, Kelly said. When they say, coach, come on, how many times can you say no to a kid before he says he ain't cool? He keeps saying no to me. End quote. So now he's blaming Notre Dame as well for being too stuffy, you know, because, the, you know, and there's more of that kind of stuff in these articles as well, that, that, that Notre Dame is too stuffy. And now he gets to let his hair down and, you know, you're getting to see loose as a goose, Brian Kelly and all that stuff. But, you know, we're obviously talking about, you know, the social media stuff, you know, the dancing videos and all that that everyone's kind of had their fun with. But, I mean, we've seen Brian Kelly do goofy social media stuff at Notre Dame before. Remember within the last couple of years, the pot of gold stuff when they were doing the weird kind of strut and everyone on the staff was doing the dancing, including Brian Kelly, and he's got the shades and he's like wearing green and he gets into that kind of weird squat thing where he's like squatting down and he's got his 
his arms out and all that. I'd, I'd call that far from button up. But there are quotes in both articles as well about recruiting. Uh, more from Brian Kelly on that. Quote, it starts with the ability to recruit within three hours of your campus. The facilities are outstanding, but you can screw up facilities. If you understand the state of Louisiana and how to recruit these young men, you're going to win here at LSU. Each one of those coaches did, end quote. Now, there are, you know, there are always going to be states that are more recruiting rich than others. There's no getting around that. And as Russo points out, LSU uh, is the lone Power 5 school in a state that has 17 of the top 400 recruits in, in the uh, 24-7 rankings. By comparison, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, Ohio State um, have combined have a total of 26 but you know that's you can't get around geography and a majority of that you know the top football talent is in the south a big part of the reason the sec is what it is but look you are what you emphasize right if you don't like vegetables you're not going to eat vegetables kelly always talked when he was here at notre dame about how he had to shop down a different aisle to get recruits which is funny because his approach to recruiting is more like punching up the uber eats app you know he's not going to go out and 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 do the shopping himself he's going to have somebody else do it for him you know so his assistants are out doing all that much much different approach with a different head coach right now Marcus Freeman he's he's the driver out there he's not he's not calling for somebody else to do the work for him and it's paying off as of right now the number one ranked recruiting class in the country and Marcus Freeman has been uh, punching the card doing the work, whether it's in his backyard like Brian Kelly has right now with this three-hour radius. You know, Marcus Freeman is all over the country, and they're getting the job done recruiting right now like Brian Kelly and nobody before him for a long time was able to do. You know, it's just – it's always been the blame game with Brian Kelly. And Notre Dame football had a good tweet this afternoon. Some pictures of guys at practice – and the Notre Dame football Twitter account, no excuses here. Hashtag go Irish. So Brian Kelly continuing to play the blame game at LSU. Still in the honeymoon phase down there, but only a matter of time before those fingers start pointing down there at LSU, I think, as well. So uh, some interesting articles, CBSSports.com and from the Associated Press. Again, both of them very similar. Both, both of these guys get to spend some time with Brian Kelly, almost like hmm, maybe an agenda that, that Brian had that he wanted to make sure this stuff got out there. Not surprised. Budweiser's weekday sports beat is brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you. And, you know, also I get the whole, okay, you're tired of hearing about Brian Kelly and all that. But look, Brian Kelly was the Notre Dame football coach as of four months ago. He's at LSU now. Yeah, he's at a different place. Again, He's the one not turning the page. We do a Notre Dame show here. The former head coach, four months removed, is talking about Notre Dame, so we're going to talk about it, of course. Uh, we're also brought to you by Tim Growl State Farm Insurance. Save money on home and auto insurance with Tim, serving both Indiana and Michigan. Call 574-232-9981. Barnabies of Mishawaka and Granger, serving our community while serving Michigan's most favorite pizza since 1978. And the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, Hunger's a Story We Can End. Find out how at FeedIndiana.com. We'll hear from J.P. Gagne from the 2002 Notre Dame College World Series team coming up here in a couple of minutes. And after that, Jim Irizarry is going to join me with uh, five 
sports wagers for you for this weekend. We've got that coming up next on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. The wind and the 2-2 from J.P. Gagne. Breaking ball! Swing and a miss! And that's the ball game! J.P. Gagne retires the last nine batters he faces. The Florida State win streak comes to an end at 25, and Notre Dame is one win away from a trip to Omaha in the College World Series. Three to one, Notre Dame in the top of the ninth, two outs and nobody on. J.P. Gunya into the windup. Mutual swing and a miss! Omaha, here come the Irish! Three to one as Notre Dame storms the field! The Fighting Irish beat the number one team in the nation in two out of three games at the Super Regional on Florida State's home field. And Notre Dame is going to Omaha for the first time since 1957. Well, uh, those were some of the dramatic memories, the uh, dramatic endings from the 2002 Super Regional between Notre Dame and Florida State in Tallahassee, J.P. Gagne on the mound to close out both of those two games, games one and game three. And this, of course, the 20th anniversary of Notre Dame's 2002 College World Series team. And uh, JP is with us right now. How are you this afternoon, Mr. Gagne? I'm, I'm doing great. I got goosebumps just listening to that again. <laughs> well, those were uh, two two pretty big moments for, obviously, you and your team 20 years since that college world series team which seems insane but you know as you kind of sit back now and and you think about that season what what's what's maybe the first thing or two that that comes to mind when you think about that well the the first thing that i always think about is how we started out this season i think we were like 10 and 10 through 20 games right coming off of the previous two seasons where we had been so dominant right out of the gates and i know that the previous year we were at number one in the Things were both Aaron Heilman and, and Danny Tamayo to the draft, and we really had to reboot our pitching staff, and it, it showed at the beginning of that season. And I think we just had, you know, a pretty young staff. We had a lot of injuries. We got off to a slow start, and then we just seemed to hit our stride, you know, about that 20th game, and we just kind of kept getting better and better, and our young players kept giving us more and more contributions. And, you know, we – seemed like we had we didn't have a lot as much pressure as maybe we had the two previous years and we just went on a went on a run it was fantastic and that was really the thing about that team obviously and it, just the resiliency that you guys had everything you talked about all the injuries there were so many injuries early on you know that contributed to that slow start that you talked about and obviously um, things ended up pretty well but it was uh you know, a lot of things had to happen. Those highlights they played from the Super Regional that went over Florida State, and they were number one in the nation. You had to beat them twice that weekend to get to Omaha. And I had uh, Paul Maneri on last week, and he talked about how he believed you guys could go there and win twice. And, I mean, between – I, I guess maybe this is a, a two-pronged question – where did the belief come that you guys could, you know, one, overcome all those early obstacles, and then two, going into that Super Regional against the number one team in the, in the nation that, that had won 25 straight, how did you get, you know, have the belief that you were actually going to be able to do that? You know, I think I, I think I owe, we owe a lot of it to Coach. He, I don't think he told us that they had 25-game winning streak. I don't think he built them up as, <laughs> as great as maybe they were. Uh-huh. Uh, so we were maybe a little naive heading into it. And I think also for us, 
it was a huge weight off of our shoulders just to get through the regional. I mean, we had been, you know, the previous couple of years, we had been within a few outs of, of winning a regional and we finally did it where, you know, I think for where we started, like I mentioned, we started so slow that for us, even just getting to a super regional was pretty exciting. So I think we were pretty relaxed going into it. And then, you know, I, I think we, we got off to such a great start in game one where we started hitting the ball right away. I know Stavisky had a home run. Right. You know, Grant Johnson was pitching great, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, we can play with these guys. They're not that special. I mean, you saw the big names that they had on the roster, but, it, you know, it seemed like we could play with them, and we kind of struck first and gave us the confidence to, to, to beat them that first game. And, you know, although we got kind of turned around on in game two, you know, Chris Neesel pitched so well in game three that I just, you know, it was, it was pretty amazing ride. And I think we just, we were able to maybe hit them with the first punch and that, and that gave us the confidence to, to pull through. Absolutely. JP Ganya with us from the 2002 Notre Dame college world series team, the 20th anniversary this year. So in that game one, you come in, it's the seventh inning. You guys had just gone up six to four in that game, do you remember like what you're thinking, what your mindset is? You're warming up and you're taking the mound for the first time down there. Uh, I figured that I was going to be finishing it. I don't think there was a game that year where by the time coach brought me in, it was more or less <laughs> there's no one else coming in after you. So, you know, I knew I had to give them three good innings. Um, I was hoping that we would score a few more runs to give me a little more run support. Uh, if I if I remember correctly, I think I came into the game with at least one guy on base, and fell behind a hitter and gave up a really hard hit ball that I believe Stavisky made an incredible catch in left field on. Yes. And that took the pressure off. And after that, you know, I just more or less did my, my usual through strikes and let them hit it at our guys and hope we made the outs. Um, you know, it was, I think that getting out of that first inning where they had guys on base and, and securing that, and I'm pretty sure we had an insurance run in either the, the, the top of the eighth or top of the ninth, where it made things easier. When we ha- when you have at least a two-run cushion, you always feel like you can attack hitters a little bit more, and you just try not to walk anybody and give them any free passes. I, I dusted off you know a couple of the, the old CDs to pull out those those highlights the other day, and so I was listening to a little bit of it, and it's because I had forgotten about the place Davisky made that you just talked about, and then in the third game there was like a it was late in the game as well, the seventh or eighth inning, he made a great diving catch and he was a guy known much more for the home runs than his defense probably as an outfielder but he really had a good 100%. weekend out there in the outfield for you yeah 100 percent. i mean that that was not something expected i mean he was a great athlete he didn't maybe have uh the best arm but he could get around the outfield he was deceptive speed and he you know he made that great catch i think it was over his head on mine and then i remember in game three i was warming up down that left field line when the ball was hit i think there was like a runner on first that would have been you know kind of put him in the spot of, of tightening up the game and he slid down the line right in front of the fence and right. made an incredible catch so it was two huge plays that you really you, you kind of forget about when you know we won the first game by a few runs and were able to you know win the second game three to one but they uh they meant a lot and really turned around that series they had a guy florida state did named ryan Bartholomew. And he had like 90 RBIs in a 56-game season going into that series, which is just an insane amount of RBIs in a 56-game season. But you guys locked him up all weekend. Do you remember kind of the plan of attack going against him? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, their lineup was was pretty stacked. I mean, you had Stephen Drew, I believe, led off for him, who eventually ended up being a number one pick. Right. And I know Tony Ritchie was a catcher for them that was a, was a high – Highly sought for, I think, you know, catcher and Bartholomew at first base. I mean, yeah, he put up. It was, 
it was crazy numbers that he had. And, you know, I think the big thing for us was I think we changed speeds and we were trying not to let him get his arms extended. He was a bigger guy. Right. And I think a lot of his power was kind of the center field in the opposite way. I do remember, I think it was in game two, he either, he hit one deeper, he hit one, uh, he, I don't know if it was out or it was deep to center field that you could see that he had the power. And, you know, I, I think I was lucky enough. I think I faced him in game one and was able to get him out, but uh, avoided him in game three. But I think in general, you know, Chris and Grant and Peter, who are the starting pitchers that weekend, really just try to mix things up and, and keep them off balance more than anything. And uh, thankfully, we did a pretty good job. You got him to pop up, as a matter of fact. All right, again, there we listening go. to some I of that stuff, that. you got Man him to field. pop up. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so when Likely I, a change-up. That's, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Speaking of which, I mean, that was <laughs> – that was your best pitch, and I believe I misidentified it as as a breaking ball a couple of times. But it had, it had so much movement, you know, about as much as I can remember from from any changeup. That's that's a hard pitch to master. How long had you, you know, kind of been working on that pitch by that point? You know, it's pretty wild. Like I really, you know, when I showed up to Notre Dame, I was I thought I was still more of a position player than I was a pitcher, and obviously needed the pitching and, and, and was thrust right into the role. And it just was a pitch that I just – I tell kids now when I'm coaching that you just need to grip it and play catch with it all the time. And eventually you find a grip that feels comfortable and you, you have control over it. And over time, as you noted, I started to get more and more movement on it. And, I mean, it really really was almost more of a screwball than it was a changeup. Yeah. But obviously became <laughs> a very effective pitch for me. You know, I know Brian O'Connor fooled around with me for a while trying to get me to throw like a, a splitter or something else. Um, but I really couldn't – I didn't throw anything else that moved as well as that did, and I, I still throwed it, you know, threw it in a way that was deceptive enough coming off my fastball. So, you know, it was great, and, and both coaches, you know, Maneri and O'Connor trusted me to throw it in just about any situation, and, you know, Paul O'Toole was not afraid to, to throw down the wiggle <laughs> fingers just about at any point. So, you know, I threw my fair share, and, and it was effective. Yeah, I mean, effective that weekend in that between that game three where you retired nine in a row to end that game and then a one, two, three, ninth in the clincher, 12 guys you set down in a row and the, the changeup was uh, was obviously a pretty big part of that. I, I've shaken hands with you a few times. I seem to remember you've got some pretty big mitts. Does that kind of help, you know, with that with that changeup? I think it does. I mean, it allowed me, I mean, it was really almost turned into a palm ball. So I could grip it, you know, my hands were, I guess, probably a little bit bigger for, for my height that I could grip it way back in and really take a lot of speed off of it and, uh, and feel like I could really kind of keep my same motion as I do with my fastball. So I felt like the hitters couldn't really read what I was throwing. And that was, you know, a big part of what made it effective. But yeah, I think, I think the big hands definitely helped. Well, you know, and when I had Paul on last week, he talked about that, you know, kind of being part of the rationale. They needed a, a closer for that team. You're midway through the season. You fire a complete game shutout in a midweek game against BYU. And then he says he asks you to become the closer. Do you remember kind of, you know, wh- wh- what's going through your head when he says, hey, by the way, do you want to be the closer now, JP? I, I was laughing. I mean, what was hysterical about that stretch is that I had started a Sunday game, I believe it was, in West Virginia. And I don't know if I got out of the first inning. I was horrible. And then I come back two days later, and because I didn't, I only threw one inning. Coach is like, "We're going to start you, you know, against BYU." And without a doubt, it was my best outing I've ever had. I ever had, and really at Notre Dame, and throw a complete game. I was like, "What? 
nine strikeouts, only two or three hits, and then legitimately the next day he brings me the office says, you're the closer. And it's like, what? <laughs> what did I do? What? Are you serious? But, I mean, it made perfect sense. And, I mean, and his explanation made a lot of sense. I mean, we had – we had all these young, great arms. We had, you know, Grant Johnson, you know, Chris Neisel, John Axford, uh, Martin Dreguera, all these guys that came in with, with a lot of hype and had great velocity, and he could trust them early in the game, but you weren't always sure in a one-run game that you were going to get strikes out of them at the end of the game, and that was, right. you know, his big thing with me. And, you know, I had – I was fortunate enough my first couple of years where I – I started a lot and I came back on shorter rest and always bounced back pretty well. So I think he also felt like, you know, I could give him, you know, two, three, four innings and potentially throw the next day or even the third day in a row if needed. So, you know, it all, it all worked out. And, you know, I kind of took a hold of the role. Wasn't a traditional closer with my velocity, but um, definitely, you know, made, made the most of it. Worked out pretty well. JP Gagne with us from Notre Dame's 2002 college world series team. And so, Obviously, you beat Florida State. You go to Omaha. Describe that College World Series experience when you guys get there. Just incredible. Uh, I'll never forget the practice day. We got to be on the field and just looking around at the stadium. I mean, I think we had, you know, at least a few hundred, if not a few thousand people in this massive stadium mm-hmm. uh, that you couldn't even wreck. You couldn't even picture there being a full, a full stadium at that practice day. You know, we did some autograph sessions. We got to do the whole thing. It was, it was just really, really neat. Stepping on that field for the game against Stanford and walking out day game, completely packed CBS. Uh, what a neat experience and incredible that, you know, looking back how stacked that Stanford team and we really took it, took him to the end. And, you know, I think a lot of the guys on the team would say if the umpire wasn't giving Guthrie <laughs> about 10 inches off of the plate, it might've right. been a different story, but um, you know, incredible experience. You know, we've played in all three games. I was fortunate enough to pitch in all three games. And, uh, you know, it'll, it's a memory that'll last a lifetime for sure. Yeah, and I mean, between the, the two teams that you played, you played Stanford twice and, and you played Rice. I mean, there were like five or six, if not more, guys who ended up playing in the big leagues, and including a couple of big league pitchers on those teams. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Stanford's entire infield ended up playing in the major yeah. leagues, basically. I mean, they were – they were stacked and they had Guthrie. Um, you know, we, we played them tight and that rice team was the number one team coming into it. So we, we definitely were on the tough side of the draw and, you know, looking back, it would have been great to pull off that first one and see what we could have really done. But, you know, we put ourselves in a little bit of hole after that first one and, try to make a run of it but it's tough once you get in that loser's bracket yeah absolutely jp i i have to i have to mention something i know this used to come up with you a lot but wrestlemania was saturday <laughs> do you do you watch do you watch pro wrestling today are you into it at all <sighs> not a ton my dad <laughs> is still pretty involved he's you know he's actually working on a a couple things on some memorabilia things still now and he's still pretty in touch with a lot of those former wrestlers. I know he was in the Ric Flair 30 for 30 on ESPN. And you know, yes. a lot of people came back and kind of, you know, retold a lot of those stories, but and they yeah, did like he, a, did you see that? They did like a, like a cartoon sort of thing. I think if I remember right. <laughs> yeah. They did like a little cartoon of my grandfather and training both Rick and my dad. And it was, uh, it was actually ESPN did a great job on it. And, you know, my dad made it sound like you might be in it, and he ended up being a big part of those things. But, yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty neat to see the old stuff. But to be honest, I haven't been too involved in 
watching some of the newer wrestling, but it's it's pretty incredible that it's taken off and it's as popular as it's ever been. No, absolutely. I've got to, I've got to sort of, I guess, back sell this now for our listeners. Your grandpa was Vern Gagne, who was a, a pro wrestling Hall of Famer, right? Yeah, he's in the WD Hall of Fame, and it's yeah. really, I mean, he was a true wrestler in the form of he played, he wrestled in college, and I think he won four Big Ten titles and a few national championships yeah. as a heavyweight at the University of Minnesota. So he parlayed that into a professional career. Yep. And, your, and my grandfather and my dead father followed in his footsteps. Right. He was a, a, a tag team champion, I believe, in the 90s. So yep. Greg Gunn. Exactly. Yep, that's right. Up in, in, Based out of, of Minneapolis. Did you ever, did they, did they ever try to get you to go into the family business? What was What was that like? You know, not really. I mean, my dad, I, I played just about every other sport as a child. I mean, other than having to wrestle them and, you know, at, at, at holidays or whenever, they felt like knocking some sense into me. I really never <laughs> learned wrestling. You know, I think my, my friends found it almost more exciting that they'd come over and ask my dad or grandfather to put him in a sleeper hold or put him <laughs> into some type of wrestling hold. Um, so that was always pretty entertaining to see, you know, have a buddy wake up, you know, on the floor five minutes after my, my dad got his hands on. But, uh, yeah, they never really pushed me. I mean, I think it's I think it's a great sport, especially for youth, to just learn balance and strength. And I, right. I sometimes wish I would have, but um, it was one of those things that never pushed me into it. And um, you know, thankfully, I haven't got the call from Vince McMahon that I have to be at the third in line and go go <laughs> get in the right. ring. I don't think I do very well at my age. That's right. I mean, you mentioned Ric Flair. It was kind of like, if I remember right, it was like when you were growing up, wasn't it? Basically, like a who's who of wrestling that kind of came through your household there. Yeah, my uh, my mom actually gave me the uh, their wedding video a few years ago, and you know Ric Flair was actually in the wedding, and had Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant were in the first row, and <laughs> you know her side of the family does not they come from more of a ha- hockey background, so they were looking around like who the heck are all these guys at the wedding? But yeah, <laughs> I mean we did, you know it was regular to see all those guys around the house when they when they come and wrestle in town, and you know we did we did family vacations and trips with the flares and other families so it was uh a very unique childhood that's for sure i don't know how i ended up as a baseball player that's awesome well you did it at a very good one at that jp Ganya, the closer from notre dame's 2002 college world series team and of this this of course the 20-year anniversary of that team and you guys are are coming into are you coming into town for the anniversary later this month yeah, I wouldn't miss it. I'm really excited right. to see everybody. I mean, we, we have people spread out all over the country, so it's so great when we can all pick a spot and come back for it and catch a, catch a weekend of baseball. All right, awesome. That's going to be the uh, the end of the month, I believe. The Boston College series is uh, when Correct. that's taking place. So, all right, well, looking forward to that. JP, great stuff. It was great catching up with you. I appreciate your time. Great, uh, great memories from the College World Series in 2002. Thanks a lot, Sean. Really appreciate it. Thanks yep. for all your support. Yep, absolutely. J.P. Gagne from Notre Dame's 2002 College World Series team. Let's take a timeout and we come back. More Budweiser's weekday sports beat is coming up on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. This is the My 5 Question of the Day. Can you dig it? On Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. Jim Irizarry is along for the ride like he is every Friday now, and he has got 
five sports wagers coming. Is there a bowl running through your living room there? What's <laughs> no? I was uh, just I rolled over to the door at my office and uh, and shut it real quick. Oh, so okay. In case, the, in case the dogs bark, sounded like start raising hell like they typically do. All right, so. <laughs> sounds good. All right. Well, you've got five for us today. What's your first one? All right, going to hit the NBA with this first one. Okay. Uh, let's see. Charlotte at Chicago, 8 o'clock tonight. Yes. On that tip off. Uh, Charlotte is uh, plus two and a half. Bulls have lost by double digits in three straight games. Ugh. Uh, and granted, while those were against upper level Eastern Conference opponents, doesn't really look like that's going to get <laughs> fixed overnight or anything. Yeah. So. Take the Hornets as the uh, as the Bulls' home struggles continue against the spread. Okay. Charlotte plus two and a half. All right. So Charlotte plus two and a half is wager number one. Your second wager is uh, Texas at Toronto in mm. Major League Baseball. Seven oh. o'clock. First pitch on that. Jays might wind up having the best home field advantage in the majors this season, just because they didn't play in Toronto at all. In 2020, that's for right. A big chunk of last year, so everybody's yeah. wanting to get to the park, and also, you know, having Bo Bichette and Vlad Jr. that doesn't hurt either. Doesn't hurt at all. Uh, right. Remember that uh, unvaccinated visiting players still can't play in Toronto as well. Although apparently all the Rangers are good to go. Texas going to be better this year with Corey Seager, and uh, also former Blue Jay Marcus Semien. But uh, Rangers don't have much else. Uh, tonight's starter, John Gray, formerly of the Rockies, was actually better last year in the thin air of Denver than on the road. Huh. Uh, he's not a number one. I'm taking Toronto straight up, minus 160 on the money line. Everybody Seven, likes the Blue Jays this year. Yep. Yeah, so let's, that'll be uh, – but you're right. I mean, Guerrero, Bichette, and that whole crew, it's, uh, there's, there's a lot to like about that offense. All right, what's your third wager? Hockey at – Boston at Tampa Bay, another 7 o'clock start as well. Lightning haven't looked like two-time Stanley Cup champs in a three-game losing streak, but they could probably just flip a switch at home uh, for a big game for playoff seating in the Atlantic Division. Bolts already catch two breaks in that Boston's going to be without David Pasternak and also without uh, defenseman Hampus Lindholm. Bruins are 1-4 in their past five as road underdogs and have only won three of their past ten in Tampa. So I like Tampa Bay, you know, if you're going to bet the money line. But I like Boston uh, on the goal line, plus one and a half, just to keep things tight, just because I've been been losing so many many hockey uh, bets by not betting the spread lately, which is weird. So... Interesting. Boston plus one and a half is, is my goal. Is is my way of going with this. So. Okay, so you're trying to steer around that. Yeah. <laughs> I gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> I gotcha. All right, so that means we've got two more wagers to go. What's your fourth wager for us this evening? I uh, got Houston at the Angels. I like the Angels straight up. A 9.30 first mm. pitch, by the way, on this. Okay. Uh, should be a bullpen-dominated game. Jake Odorizzi of Houston, Reed Detmers of uh, the Angels, not really able to go too deep. Take the Angels to de- to uh, deliver some clutch hits uh, in the later innings and uh, even this series up. Angels straight up. And I mean that's that's how just looking at some of those games yesterday. It's it's already it's it's amazing. You know, it's like game one, six guys go to the mound, seven guys go to the mound. Right. You know, <laughs> yeah. seeing it already. Yep. 
Opening week. Yeah. Uh, yeah use yeah. all the pitchers you can. Gotta love it. I mean, you know, and it makes sense when it's cold and stuff like that, I guess. Oh, you yeah. know, whatever, yeah. but yeah. All right. So what's uh what's number one for us this evening? Uh another hockey bet, which means Man. I'm probably tempting fate here. Speaking but, of cold, you know, okay. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, Colorado at Winnipeg, two really cold places right now, I bet, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't like this as much as I did in the morning because the Jets have ruled out Blake Wheeler and his 54 points, but the Avs are also without two of their best offensive players, uh, Gabriel Landeskog and uh, Nazib Kadri, two of the best offensive players in the NHL, quite honestly. Okay. Uh, they were hoping to get Samuel Girard back on defense. That's not happening tonight. Uh, he's still hurt. It's also the front end of a back-to-back for Colorado. So Winnipeg probably going to be able to hang within a goal here, even without Wheeler. Uh, I, I, as long as we just get to overtime, then I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Winnipeg plus one and a half. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. You going to watch the Mets on Apple TV tonight? Uh, I am. I, I've, got a, uh, I've got a friend sign-in info because uh, – I've got enough streaming services. I can't. I can't keep paying for all these. Yeah, I heard they were like this first game, or you know, the first week or whatever is is free. I don't know, but uh, you know, they probably still want is you it? to okay. give your. They probably still want you to give a credit card to right. do it. So I don't blame you. Yeah, so. we're giving you a free week, and then you forget about you yeah know, the fact that you gave them your credit card info and you get charged. That's exactly it. That's exactly what they're looking for. All right, Jim. Woo! Appreciate it. Have a great weekend. You do the same, sir. I will. Thank you very much. And speaking of wagers, this baseball season, you can turn K's into cash and big hits into big wins with FanDuel Sportsbook because right now, new customers can step up to the plate with a risk-free bet up to $1,000. Just sign up, place your first bet, and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back in-site credit if you don't win so any of those bets that jim was just talking about give one of them a whirl it's risk-free so even if he steers you wrong you don't have to worry about it and so uh, see for yourself why fanduel is america's number one sportsbook download the fanduel sportsbook app sign up with my promo code wsbt to get started with your risk-free bet up to a thousand dollars that's promo code WSBT, so they know I sent you. Must be 21 plus and present in Indiana. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. We will take a timeout, and when I come back, I've got a Sports Center update for you and Vince D'Addario is also going to join me for rapid fire in the six o'clock hour on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. You're listening to Budweiser's weekday sports beat with Sean Styers on sports radio, 960 AM WSBT. Who wants to have some fun? Rapid Fire starts now on Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT. And now your host, Sean Styers. Along with Vince D'Addario tonight, who's out at Four Winds Field. How's it looking out there tonight, Vince? Overcast and cold, my friend. Yeah, That's what it you looks know. like. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much expected 
no less. But yeah. we've got South Bend Cubs baseball. The broadcast will start in about 39 minutes with the pregame show Ooh. with Brendan King and Max Toma. But Vince is out there. It sounded like you got your, you're out there with your Riley baseball team. Is that what's going on? Yeah, we've got uh, this pretty cool event uh, team, or I should say at school in Michigan, Corona, Michigan, uh, has brought all of their spring sports into town, and they're staying overnight uh, for the weekend, and we are supposed to play all of their spring sports tomorrow. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know if I see that happening with the degrees and all that stuff, but it's, yeah. a, uh, it's a bit of a bonding experience tonight. They're, they're doing this uh, little combination deal before the game starts and everybody's going to kind of get to know everybody and then they're going to go watch the game and then in theory we're like you know track and tennis and golf and softball and baseball we're all going to play tomorrow but of course mother nature had different plans for this weekend right so we'll see what happens tomorrow but right. a cool a cool event a cool experience for these guys uh corona is a very small town in michigan a very farm type community so uh it's a definitely an experience for them to come down here yeah okay Cool. Well, hopefully things work out. But like you said, it's, you know, very, very winter like, very winter like. Yes. Yes, it is. All right. So there's a lot to get into with this. I talked about this in the first hour, of course, the uh, the two articles. And and I just I didn't even realize until today that there were two articles. It's interesting. Ralph Russo of the Associated Press and Dennis Dodds, both college football writers, um, with uh, with one-on-one interviews and articles with Brian Kelly. So they obviously both spent some time down there in Baton Rouge with Brian Kelly, and then weird that both of these articles come out on the same day. And really, they weren't a lot different. You know, there was a right. lot of the same stuff in both of them. Almost like, oh, I don't know, Brian Kelly had a message he was trying to send to somebody. <laughs> hey, Brian Kelly uh, is very, very good at getting whatever message that he wants yep. out there. Playing the he politics. always has been. Yep. He always has been. And you can agree or disagree with whatever message he was trying to get out there. But the bottom line is, it always got out there. Yep, that's exactly right. So, I'll just read a few of the quotes from the article. And then we can, you know, because again, I don't, I don't want to go through and, you know, read everything but I'll try to read a few of the quotes and then we can you know we can kind of jump into it from there okay so quote Brian Kelly it's been awesome because you've got incredible facilities you've got players that want to be great I want to be in an environment where I have the resources to win a national championship and I came down here because I want to be in the American League East. I felt like I did everything that I could at Notre Dame, and they felt like they did everything they could for me. I felt like we had both got to a point where this is what they could do, right? This is what I did, and we couldn't get past that, okay? And so here we are, end quote. Continuing, <laughs> I felt like that what I was looking for was student-athlete-centered, and I was pushing for more for the student athlete, and I wanted to see that piece, and we didn't seem to be on the same path as to how that was going to get accomplished, end quote. He's, of course, talking about from Notre Dame. Okay, so now, uh, this kind of segues. Both of these, again, a lot of the same kind of stuff, not the exact same quotes um, in each of the articles, but 
Right. In both articles, he talks about how he wanted a dedicated chef for the football program and how the Goog, the Guglielmino Athletics Complex, did not have a, you know, kitchen, you know, that kind of thing where the food could be prepared there and a dedicated chef for the football team. So he says to Dennis Dodd at CBS Sports, quote, did you walk in downstairs and see the training table? Um, did you walk into the Goog? He followed up, referring to the Goog at Notre Dame. There is no training table. We bring food in from the cafeteria. You get a sack lunch, a box lunch. That building had been built not to service those areas. That wasn't the vision the university had. I don't have a problem with that. They had built that building to meet and locker, and that's it. And we had outgrown that. I had asked for that to be addressed in 2016. We're at 2022, end quote. So there are some of the quotes, Vince. I talked about a lot of the, you know, I talked about all of this in the first hour. So I'll kind of let you start off with where you want to go, and and, uh, I will follow up from there. Oh, there is so much touch on uh there there's no no doubt about it i look it's it's very interesting that all of a sudden you know he's, he's getting all public about all of his dissatisfaction with notre dame and yet one of the main reasons that he left notre dame is they didn't want to pay him any more money um <laughs> they, they were really good to brian kelly financially um at notre dame number one number two you know, he talks about the facilities. He was really harping on the whole private chef thing, which I find to be very funny. I'll say it. I think I think find, I find that to be very funny. Well, they, yeah. Go ahead. We've both been over there at the Goog, like when when food is being brought into the Goog. Yeah. And yes. box lunch is not how I would describe anything no. that I saw. Going that into the Goog as it pertains, you know, like what the football team was going to eat. You know, Crimea right. River, you know, it, yes. it, it may not be prepared there, but it was still gourmet prepared food, you know, prepared at the 100%. dining hall or, you know, wherever on campus. But it was in it, you know, and sometimes brought in from an outside, you know, like a restaurant or something like yes. that. But it was, it was. It was far from a boxed lunch. It was not a freaking sandwich and, and a bag of chips that they were feeding exactly. those guys over there. And far from it. They would come in in heated carts and all of yes. these different things to make sure everything was warm. I don't care where it's prepared. Why does it ha- Why does it have to be prepared in the same building? Right. You're still getting plenty of nutrition. You know, there, there was a nutritionist for Notre Dame, so you know that food was prepared a certain way. Right. Right? So does it matter that it was trucked in? It's not like they had Brian Kelly back up his SUV and pick it up and bring it over to the Goog. Right. Is, okay. Was so, Brian Kelly being inconvenienced because right. they had to cook the food someplace else? They were doing something. You know, it's like when they walked into the building and it was time to eat, that food was there ready for him to eat, you know? So. 100%. Every <laughs> single time. Every single time. And so the whole private chef thing I think is ridiculous. I'll, I'll say that. Now, as far as the facilities – situation is concerned Notre Dame has one of if not the top indoor practice facilities in the country just had it built a couple years ago that is indisputable that's indisputable okay could the Goog be updated for certain things absolutely and from what I understand that was in the works okay I mean that there are plans to do that but we all know how Notre Dame 
operate. They have to get their money in hand first. That, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. That's you. They, they, before they're going to do yeah. anything, even though they've got that twenty billion dollar endowment, before they right. build any facility, all that money has to be raised look, in, in hand before they're going to break ground on anything. And that's just how Notre Dame does things. And right. he knew that from day one. Okay. And the fact that he actually said, "This is what I asked for in 2016." Do we all remember what happened in 2016? Yeah. I mean, I, if I'm Notre Dame, I'm not going to be that anxious to go out and you know raise millions of dollars for a coach who I don't know if he's going to be around in a year at that point, right? He needs to thank his lucky stars and Jack Swarbrick specifically that he was still employed after the 2016 season. Right. So does he really think it was a good idea to start asking for all of these different things in 2016 specifically? Um, I don't think that was necessarily the way to go there. Um, so that is head-scratching at best. Um, and, and look, Notre Dame has to make up some, some room. There, there's no question about it. And they are in the process of doing that. And I can tell you right now, and this is a conservative number, that since Brian Kelly has been there, they haven't, the school has invested over $600 million into the football program alone. Right. $600 million. Right. So – you know, I think they're doing okay, and I think, you know, they're not just going to back up the Brinks truck. They're doing okay, and it doesn't seem to be hurting recruiting currently. No, I mean, look, it, for a long time, there were things that had to be addressed because there was always that balance between tradition and upgrade and all these different things. And, like, even when the sure. Goog, you know, two years after the Goog was built, it was already in the process of being outdated and that's why you know that that you know there there has been work toward trying to to upgrade that facility it's amazing you know and i mean you and it's not just at notre dame but you go across all of athletics and it's like you know you 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 know it's just like when you drive a new car off the lot it devalues right right away it's like all these facilities you build them and then everyone else has got the you know the shinier new toy and you know there's there's no doubt that priorities are a little bit different down south but but to be pointing sure. to be pointing the finger at things like chefs and he you know and he you know he, he didn't have you know the you know the newest shiny you know facility to replace the goog and all that different kind of stuff it's just fingers pointing everywhere and that's what you, you well, just that's- you know that that's what yeah. it is ultimately that's the mo but that's the mo for brian kelly and we can get into that if you want to about how none of it is ever his fault and it's always everybody else's fault. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And I will also I will point out again that it doesn't – like everything that he's talked about that they don't have at Notre Dame, right, and his replacement in, in Marcus Freeman doesn't seem to have an issue in the recruiting world with lacking all of the things that Brian Kelly says that they're lacking. Well, and that's, that's, that's at the end of this. They're, you know, and again – in both of these articles, there are, you know, comments about recruiting and, and all that kind of stuff and how he's got this great advantage because he's at LSU and there's more talent around him and all that. And that's that's true. You know, again, you go you go down south and those are the pockets where they're, sure. you know, that, you know, that's where Notre Dame has to target. That's where everybody has to target. It's more talent rich in those areas. There is no doubt about that but you know as I said earlier in the show like Brian Kelly's approach to recruiting when he was here is basically punching up the Uber Eats app 
and and having somebody else go out and have everything hand delivered to him. You know, it's like he he wasn't going to go out and pick up the food himself. He was having it no. brought to him. You know, because when he talks about shopping down in a different aisle and all that kind of stuff, well, Marcus Freeman's shopping in a different aisle too, and he seems to be getting the job done pretty well, going out and doing it himself. You know, exactly. It's something exactly. that Brian Absolutely Kelly was not correct. willing to do. Well, and he and and to his point about it being easier down there in recruit, that's what he wants. He wants it to be easier, right? Right. We right. We, we've talked to multiple former players um, at Notre Dame and. To a man, each one of them would say, you know, Brian Kelly would come in and he would give a big speech to the whole team in January, and then he would disappear right. for a month and a half and go on vacation and do all these different things before spring ball would start, okay? Well, the difference is, during that time period, Marcus Freeman and his staff were out there on the road recruiting, <laughs> recruiting. and doing all these different things to make up ground, right? Yeah. And yeah. also to a man when it comes to recruiting, these the current recruits, the, the recruits in the 23 class, right? There are kids who have wanted nothing to do with Notre Dame because of the lack of relationship with the head coach right. who are now extremely intrigued by Notre Dame. Because, because of, of the relationship, relationship with, with the head, head coach. coach. Yep. Exactly right. So what does that tell you, yep. right? It's the same kid, that's, that's your, uh, uh, you know, point that's on the same for both right the same kid with the same relationships and now he's interested in Notre Dame that's not a coincidence right that's a hard work issue all right we're gonna have to take a break because again we've got an abbreviated show tonight we will take a timeout and we will continue with rapid fire we've got a lot more coming on Budweiser's weekday sports beat Budweiser's weekday sports beat and rapid fire continue on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT about 19 minutes from now. We've got South Bend Cubs pregame show season opener for the South Bend Cubs coming up at Four Winds Field and Vince D'Addario is hanging out at Four Winds Field tonight. Are you uh, are you in a warm spot right now? I am currently um, and I've got multiple layers in the car okay. um, if I'm going to hang out outside for very long. But, yes, I'm in the uh, actually the first source bank performance center oh, at the moment. Okay. Okay. Yes. Very good. Very good. Well, on the subject of baseball, Major League Baseball is going to put several games on both Apple TV and Peacock streaming services this season. So I'm curious because you're a classic cord cutter and you watch <laughs> – you watch a lot more sports than me on the streaming platforms. So how would you describe that experience, watching live sports on streaming platforms? To be honest, I don't see the difference. Um, I really don't because that's how I watch anything that's on ESPN. Um, that's how I watch anything that's not on one of the air channels is through an app. Um, you know, with the streaming situation. So I really don't notice the difference at all. And it really doesn't bother me one way or the other. Um, You know, again, what bothers me is that I don't have access to watch the Cubs lose on a regular (laughs) basis. But I I don't have access to that. But the actual physical watching of the game, there is zero difference for me. The only – no, here's the difference. It's delayed from real life. Right. Right. So – 
I will have people texting me like, you know, oh, this happened. And I'm like, ah, not for another 30 seconds. Yeah, I was going like, to say, so, that's 30 seconds from now. <laughs> right. So I will say that that is a little bit annoying if I'm like texting someone or if I'm on Twitter. But other than that, it's no big deal. Yeah. And see, like that was the big thing when the when the Notre Dame game was on streaming on Peacock. Remember, was, you know, like the tweets were going out and people were 30 seconds behind. So like we're tweeting stuff from the press box and people are like what what you know what's what's going on you know so yeah so that was I think that that is an issue that I don't know how you solve especially when you're talking about football baseball maybe a little bit different the thing the thing with me when I'm watching and this would be my issue and again I don't know that I've watched a ton of I don't know that I've watched anything you know other than maybe like if I'm driving and you know, and I'm watching something on not not driving in the passenger seat, I should say, right. or or on a butt. You know, like if I'm watching Safety it, first. yeah, if I'm watching it on my phone, you know, that's a little bit different because I don't have anything else going on. But like the two things, if I am home, is one, I don't want to watch a live sporting event on my phone or on my computer. I want to be sure that it is up on my TV screen. Now there are ways to do that, but the other thing is. My wife and my kids can both attest to this. I am a hardcore channel surfer. So oh, yeah. that's 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 like a big thing for me. If a commercial comes on, you know, because like I like baseball specific and and football as well, NFL, I've got the packages, you know, on my direct TV. And so commercial comes on, I want to flip to another game right away and see what's going on with this other game or, you know, like go to, you know, whether it's the red zone channel or the, you know, like the game mix where you've got, you know, they show all the different stuff. That's, that's what would be hard for me is if I've got to watch a game, you know, on the, on the streaming platform and, you know, what do you, what do you do as a, as a channel surfer? That's, that's what would be really rough for me, I think. That makes a lot of sense. And I used to be a hardcore channel surfer until I lost the, (laughs) The were, ability to do so. You were broken of it. You had to go cold turkey yeah. from the channel surfing. Here's yeah. here's one thing I want to know how it's going to be. I, I don't know how they address this. You know, like you've worked in a bar before, and you know you're in a bar or a rest. Ooh, you know, bar point. or a restaurant. Are they going to be able to stream these? I don't know that they're going to. You know, like if it's a Cubs game or a White Sox game or whatever. Like I don't know. I don't know how you handle that because a lot of you know people. Want to be able to watch those games still if they're hanging out at the bar, the restaurant, whatever it happens to be. That's a really good point. I, I don't know how they would do that either. I mean, I they would have to set up some sort of like a Roku or some sort of something and then actually have the ability. Because you, I'm sure you've run into this before when you try to ask somebody to change the channel on yeah. there. It's almost impossible and nobody knows how to do it can you even imagine what it's going to be like with apps and things like that like <laughs> well the funny thing about that is oh. it's amazing how few people are, are even allowed to change the channel <laughs> anymore <laughs> like in those you know the bartender the server the you know whatever uh-huh. either either like they're not allowed to i've run into some it's like well i don't know how to do that you know uh-huh. all these i don't know what channel to go to and it's like i will help you there's got to be a channel guide i will help you <laughs> but, but yeah i don't you know again i don't know how you handle that point. i don't know how you handle that with a streaming service okay another baseball 
um, it, fill in the blank. It is blank that baseball has decided to have umpires wear a microphone to inform the crowd in the stands and the TV audience of instant replay reviews on the field this season. They're going to have umpires actually announcing this stuff to the both to the crowd in the ballpark and on TV this year. So, number one, it's going to be entertaining because <laughs> baseball umpires aren't used to talking to large groups of people. True. And football uh, white hats. They have a lot of experience doing that, so they actually sound somewhat intelligent about what they're talking about. And I'm not saying the baseball umpires are not intelligent. That is not what I'm saying at all. But <laughs> they, they just don't used... have experience doing it. Exactly. And so I think it's going to be comical at times, number one. Number two, I actually dig it because there are plenty of times where the TV analyst and play-by-play guy have no idea what they're reviewing. And yeah. they're guessing, basically, yes. as to what is being looked at. And so if we're told ahead of time, hey, this team is challenging this, now we know what to look for and we can all be informed as to what they saw and what they're looking for and then when it's all over, what they saw or didn't see. I actually think it's a really good idea. It's not like we don't have the technology for it, so why not? I, I like it. And that's I'm, it's, it's such a good idea. Uh, it, it, like, it amazes me that it took this long for it to happen, you know, because I've heard people, you know, like on t- on TV, not necessarily, you know, not completely ripping, but it's like it would be nice to know exactly because what they're going to do, you know, when it when an umpire challenges something, like you said, we don't always know exactly what they're challenging. So first, once the umpire finds out what the manager is challenging, they're going to go to the microphone and and say, you know, like David Ross is challenging you know the the safer out call at second base whatever it happens to be and so then they're going to go they're going to look at it after the uh the the league has looked at it in new york and they tell the umpire crew on the field what the call is going to be then the umpire crew is going to be here's what the result uh you know of the of the challenge turned out to be it's like oh clarity from everyone all the way around (laughs) you know I, Absolutely, I, I think it's going to be awesome. And then, you know, again, I'm amazed that it's taken this long for them to to, to come up with a system like this because it, it, like you said, football, you know, especially the NFL has had it forever. It's amazing that it's taken this long to do this. Well, and that's the thing. It's like when they when I saw this announcement a couple of weeks ago, or a week, well, it wasn't even that long ago. I was like, duh, like that makes so much sense. Why right. did this not happen earlier? Like I know. that makes that. It's funny that you said that because I was thinking the exact same thing. And it was comical to me that they've never come up with this before now because they've been announcing stuff at football games for decades, literally right. decades. Yep. You know, there are even some high schools that do it. So, yeah, uh, I, I actually I like it a lot. Yep. Me too. Me too. OK, fill in the blank. In an effort to grow the popularity of football around the world, it's blank that the NFL is trying to have flag football added to the Summer Olympics. Uh, this one's tough for me because I am not a fan of flag football anyway. <laughs> now, I also understand that you're trying to grow the sport. So maybe you're talking about people who have no idea what it is. and This is a good way to kind of uh-huh. ease them into it. So I don't like it for the Olympics. I think that's ridiculous. I, th- that is terrible. I, I don't like that in any way, shape or form. You know, go start leagues around the 
world if you want or you know things of that nature it's to be terrible to watch flag football the olympics i mean i'm sorry that's no i'm very much against it i understand what the nfl is trying to do but there's other ways to go about what they're trying to accomplish and the olympics is not one of those ways you know vince people were people were a little you know uncertain about the half pipe and you know all these different you know like the winter game sports and stuff like that were when they were introduced you know I'm kind of torn on this as well it's like what does a flag football game at the Olympics look like you know I mean it is football and like to your point okay go start leagues I think that if if there is a flag football team that is going to be in the Olympics, then that kind of helps sort of sprout leagues in these different countries, right? So I, I can see what they're trying I can see what they're trying to do. And if you want your sport to be more popular, because I mean, let's face it, there are very few countries where football is actually played. You know, there's there's a little, you know, little pockets in Europe just because you used to have NFL Europe and and those kind of things. You've got the United States. You've sure. Got, you've got some in Mexico. You've got obviously got some in Canada. But I don't know what else they can do. You know, if they really do want their sport to be more popular. Um, so I, I'm, I'm like you. I'm, I'm having a, sort of a hard time envisioning what this looks like. But at the same time, give it a shot. I guess it's worth a shot if that you know if they really. You know, want to try to sell their sport around the world? You've got to get more people interested in the sport. I, I'm not well. See, like, I, unlike you, like I grew up in a community where that you know, like, we didn't have the Pop Warner and and the you know the the Granger Rockets and stuff like that when we were six and eight years old. They actually made us play flag football until middle school, so it's like hmm. it's not quite as foreign to me. I guess. Yeah, we grew up having to play flag until middle school and then middle school and high school we got to you know actually play real football but i just i oh man i just don't like it look if i'm not mistaken isn't baseball still not an olympic sport anymore yeah they took it away they did so if you don't have baseball i'm sorry (laughs) i'm not gonna sign up for bastardized football yeah i can understand that i can understand that all right last question tonight if tiger woods is in contention at the Masters Sunday, how much more will you be paying attention? I will be looking for updates on my phone. That is probably the extent of my watching, um, just because there's other things going on in my life. Yeah. That popping down in front of the TV to watch Tiger is probably not high on my priority list. So I'll be watching. I'll be up. You know, I'll be interested in the updates, but I will not be sitting down and watching it. Yeah, I'm. I, if he's truly in contention. I'll probably be laying back watching a little bit of it Sunday, uh, you know, and watching him right now. He's actually moved back into a tie for 19th. He is one over, shooting a 70, uh, getting ready to begin the 18th hole right now. And this actually kind of goes back to what I was talking about with, uh, you know, like the streaming stuff earlier. Like today, or you know, yesterday and today, it was only available on the ESPN Plus and whatever. And it's like, oh. I'm sitting there trying to work at home. I'm not going to punch it up on my phone. If if I'm going to watch it, it's going to be on my TV in the background. So I had baseball on in the background <laughs> instead. You know, right. I'm just I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna punch it up on on a computer or on my phone when I'm trying to work. And you know, that's just 
kind of the way it is. But I'll be more interested. I'll be more interested for sure. I, it's it's I, just for him to be where he is right now. He has had a rough day out there. He has bogeyed six times today, but he is Ooh. still right now one over 70 going to the 18th. So, so he'll make the cut. He'll make the cut. Yeah. I mean, he's got a shot. Yep, for sure. All right, Vince, we'll stay warm out there. I'll keep my fingers crossed that you actually get to play tomorrow, but I know that that's not looking too good. No, it's not. I think it's 34 degrees at uh, first pitch, so I'm not really uh, all that optimistic. But thank you for that. Yep, absolutely. All right. Take care. Vince out at Four Winds Field tonight. And uh, that's going to do it for Budweiser's weekday sports beat. He's out at Four Winds Field because the South Bend Cubs are getting ready to get started. And Brendan King and Max Toma are going to bring you the South Bend Cubs with the pregame show starting here in about four and a half minutes. We're brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you. Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. Tim Grau State Farm Insurance, call 232-9981. Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, the food bank of northern Indiana. And uh, that is going to do it for us tonight. Have a great weekend. Stay warm. We've got South Bend Cubs baseball coming up next on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. Hey, everyone. Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouthwatering char-grilled certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today.